Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Happy New Year, Nova Nation, and welcome to the first 2018 edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast. We missed you, we didn't forget about you, and we're back in action after taking a nice little break for the holidays. We also had some technical difficulties that prevented Tuesday's episode from happening, but we're back, we're here. I'm Eugene Rupe, he's Chris Danziel. Chris, it's been a while. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? I know you're on vacation. How was that? Uh, it was vacation was good. Christmas was good. New Year's was fine. We ended up going to Vermont for vacation to, to go skiing at Okemo. And we in the four days we were there, the high was two degrees. So that gives you a little hint as to how that was. Mo- most of the time it was in the negatives. But, you know, when you're on a mountain, you kind of expect that. So that's okay. It was a fun time. Though. Good skiing conditions. I had a good, I had a good time. Did you get what you wanted for Christmas? Yes, yes, I did. And, and some. I was pretty happy. Got all the clothes I wanted, which is pretty much just what I want nowadays. So it's all good. Santa treated me well. That's good. That's good. Santa realized I was probably too old for the age limit and went ahead and sabotaged all all family <laughs> members to stop them from giving gifts. What? You didn't get anything? I got boots that didn't fit me. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Eugene, don't tell me this. <laughs> We're going to start a GoFundMe for your Christmas gifts from now on. My, my sister trolled me by giving me a fidget spinner. Okay, that's actually pretty funny. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow, you actually got me a gift this year. Open it up, fidget spinner. Like, <laughs> was it like a team-themed fidget spinner or was it just a regular old fidget spinner? Uh, it was blue camo. Blue camouflage pattern. Okay. So that's a villain of a color. Yay. Fidget spinners died real quick, didn't they? I'll, I'll never understand them. I was really late on the fad. It wasn't until I actually saw a coworker have one, and I was like, what, did, what is that? What is the point of that? What does it do? And she showed me, and I was not amused. Yeah, I never I never understood the hype either. But I don't, I don't know if they actually work for kids with ADD or you know things like that, or kids that are really fidgety or really just need to like touch things. So I don't know yeah. if they actually work. Hopefully they do. But uh, yeah. you're gonna you can mess me with the hype train on that. Yeah, no, you're right. I I completely missed out on it, and then people are like, "Oh yeah, this is for kids with ADD." I was like, "Oh well, had no idea." So my New Year's was pretty nice. It was pretty great. Uh, the holidays itself were pretty fun. I mean, it was good to spend time with the family. But it was it was almost perfect. It was just one game away from being perfect. I think you know exactly where I'm going with this. And it was just one win away from being perfect. Villanova basketball no longer undefeated as they suffered their first loss to Butler. We'll get to that in just a moment. Because now, Chris, we were the last team 
to be undefeated for our men's and women's basketball programs. But after this week, the week we're away, the one week we decided to not, you know, not podcast, not broadcast, <laughs> we're going to enjoy the holidays. Things hit the fan, and <laughs> now we come back, and both teams have now lost one. Yeah, so pretty rough week on the, on the sports front there. I mean, I guess I guess the holidays, being around family and being all merry and happy and all kind of was able to alleviate the pain from for losing against Butler and Creighton for men's and women's respectively. Of course, it has to be the week we're away, and then we basically have to backtrack, got and dig deep into our uh, memory bank here, even though the Butler loss was a little more recent, but still. Yeah, the men's team, while we were gone, two days after Christmas, they opened up Biggie's play with a big 103-85 to victory on the road against the DePaul Blue Demons, as as expected. But just before the new year, we were given a little stunner with unranked Butler coming back and just shocking Villanova again as the Bulldogs won 101 to 93. Before we leave that loss in 2017, Chris, I'm gonna have to pull you back. And we're gonna have to we're gonna have to suffer through it one more time just before we pack it up in the box and leave it back in the past. What happened? I guess that's the question everybody was asking. What happened? <laughs> yeah. You know, usually a loss in at the end of December, first few games of Big East play. Granted, it's on, it's against an unranked Butler team, but it's on the road, and you're like, all right, you just you got beat. You chalk it up to a loss that's going to happen over a long season, kind of like how how we went into Butler last year, and we just kind of got beat. It really wasn't anything that really stuck out, and that's okay. Usually, those losses you can deal with, but this loss aggravated me so much because of the how they lost, giving up 101 points to Butler. I mean, come on. Like, it's on the road, okay. When you're a team that prides itself on defense and defensive efficiency, you can't, you can't give up 101 points to Butler. And all right, you can make the argument that we got raggied again by my fellow Don Bosco prep cohort, Paul Jorgensen. I'm like, all right, I guess you can. They just got hot. But at the same time, there, was, there were several plays that Butler hit shots on that were just complete defensive lapses on Villanova's part. And me and you went back and forth with this the entire game. We could basically, we were basically tallying up how many times it happened where Butler's guards would drive to the middle and either our guard would get blown by or stop them. But at the same time, whoever was on the wing, usually, I hate to say it, but it was usually Dante, would be on the wing and covering the guy in the corner collapsed to the middle to try and put, provide some help defense when it wasn't even needed. And then they would kick it out to the corner and they'd have a wide open shot. And then I, Butler obviously wasn't missing that day. And they were hitting everything and all those shots would go in. At that point, you're like, just take the, give them the two at that point because they weren't missing from three. So just give them the two. You trade the three for the two. And then at the same time on the offensive end, yeah, we Villanova scored theirs, but a good amount, 90 something points. But the ball movement, I, I don't know about you, but I felt like the ball movement wasn't there. It looked like an NBA offense, honestly, where you just had one guy doing everything and then maybe he'd kick it out or so. It was usually Jalen, and Jalen had a good game other than the missed free throws at the end, which was kind of the dagger after the big 14 nothing run to get us back into it. But I'm just like, come on, like what what happened? Is, is it just Hinkle that they just lose their their sense of, I, I don't know, like the offense and defense that they they can't stick to the game plan. I, I didn't really understand what was going on. But yeah, Butler just has Villanova's number right now in, in three, three straight games against them, three straight losses. And I really hope this isn't indicative of the way they play down the road, especially on the, on the road. I think I had them going into Creighton and beating Creighton, but like, I don't know now, like if they play anything like this in a road type, in a hostile road environment, who the heck knows what's going to happen. It's a very scary thing to see them do this this early, but at the same time, they could correct it. And I guess it's it's better that it happened now than later. A few people compared this game to the 
Ethan Raggy, Doug McDermott game back at the first one at the Wells Fargo Center, or both meetings against Creighton in 2014, which also happened to be the last time that the Wildcats gave up 100 points to an opponent. It was to the Doug McDermott, Ethan Raggy Jays. But if you look at this game, I don't know. I, I felt like those games felt worse because you knew that game was over and well decided in the first 10, 15 minutes of the game. Okay. This one, it was bad. Mm-hmm. It was not good. There was a little nice comeback at the end, which was nice. It was good to see them not roll over, and it was good to see them get hot. But you look at Butler's shooting numbers, 60% on the floor overall, yeah. 68.2% from deep, yeah. 15 of 22. Unwieldy. <laughs> Unwieldy. Yeah. And it wasn't – and, yeah, you know, we keyed in, obviously, on Keelan Martin and Kamar Ball. We knew, we knew that those were the two guys coming in. But Paul Jorgensen, your boy, comes in, drops 23, hits four threes, and if you even just take away half his points, we win the game. Yeah, and half his points came from, like, half-court po- half shots, it seems like. there were He had, like, the two possessions in a row where he just pulled up from, like, just inside midcourt, and he drained both of them. It was it was raggy bombs at its finest. You got PTSD watching it for sure. But I think you a good point you brought up. I, think, I don't know if you tweeted it out or you mentioned it to me. I don't remember. And that Creighton game, yeah, it was decided – like real early and we had played them earlier in the year and we got green bio but at least we played defense in that game like contested defense and like those shots were going in these shots for butler they weren't even contested there was no one within the vicinity of half of their three-point shots and then if they were contested they were going in anyway i mean what was that about yeah hinkle magic was in full effect i felt like with the creighton game we got a hand in the face but doug mcdermott ethan raggy they were sinking them anyway this time around the help defense was killing us. We had the guy, the guy in the corner collapsing down, providing help defense, and then they kick it out to the open man in the corner. There's a slight hesitation, and then just pull up, boom, pull up, boom, pull up, boom. And we just kept getting fried. And I just didn't feel like there were that many adjustments at half. I, no. I felt like, you know, I was like, okay, okay. We just gave up 50-plus points in a half. Very unlikely that's going to happen again. There's no way this can sustain itself. But no. Hinkle magic was a thing, and Butler shot 64% in the second half. And I know you mentioned a little bit how it felt like an NBA offense. It didn't feel like Villanova was assisting that much. No, you were right. We only assisted on 15 of 38 baskets. And if you look at the second half alone, we only had six assists. Yeah. Not patented ball movement, not sharing the ball. This is not the Wildcat offense we know. No, yeah, no, absolutely. You're exactly right. All right, you want to give it to Jalen because he was having a great game. He put up 31. Like, all right, you want to have him run the offense and do everything fine, but, like, try to facilitate some others. Like, Bridges put up 21, but, like, I feel like he barely did anything. (laughs) Like, I don't know how he got 21 points, it felt like. Eastman had 15, 7 to 10 shooting, but he fouled out. Like, it was just, just a really weird offensive game, and I felt like there were a lot of opportunities to cut into that Butler lead after that run and or even during the or during the big butler run our offense would go down and just hack up a shot with like 25 seconds left in the shot clock like just pull up and pop from deep and i'm just like what are you doing work the ball around like get a good shot like don't just hack it up and, and i hate saying again Dante was a big offender for that he did it a lot last year and he's still doing it this year i'm not saying he was the only one i think phil had a couple of those too but it was just like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Work the ball around. We have such a good offensive team. We have so many interchangeable parts, so many good players to use. Like, work them in. Like, why are we hacking up shots so early in the shot clock to then brick it off the back rim? And then Butler goes in transition, and then they'll hit a 
three because everyone's collapsing to the middle. It, 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 there was several sequences like that. Felt that there were a lot of shots that Villanova took that felt a little rushed. Didn't even seem like they were comfortable taking those shots. A lot of contested ones. I jinxed it earlier. When I texted you after Eric Pascal hit that three to start the game, I was like, oh man, Eastman hit a three. We are going <laughs> to win this one. And unfortunately, it didn't even end up like that at all. Nowhere near that. We were coming home for Vermont and I got home and I think I like turned on the game like as Eastman was hitting that three and then I got your text. I was like, okay, all right. You know, this, this actually might be fine. Like it'll probably be a little tough game, but we'll, we'll prevail. And then no. And then the the missed free throws at the end too by Jalen, it was just like you just knew just like you, you, there was a slim chance they would come back anyway with those free throws. But at the same time, when you know Jalen's missing free throws, like clutch free throws, he's usually good at those, as exemplified in the, the tournament in 2016. You just knew it was done. It just wasn't their time to win. And again, Butler gets another court storming. Yeah, and I I know we we're a team that loves to shoot the ball, but we only got to the line nine times made five of those. It was nice to see us come back. At one point, early in the second half, Butler was leading as high as 23. Mm-hmm. And then we string together that 14-0 run. And all of a sudden, my TV turned back on. It shut <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, my TV lost signal as Butler was hit, I think, the 80-point the mark. And the mm-hmm. lead was about to stretch into 20. And then I got signal back. <laughs> <laughs> Just as Villanova was back in the middle of its run, I was like, oh, my God, we're, can we do this? Can we do this? It always felt that we were one run away from just being back in it. It happened a little later than we would all have hoped. But to see us trim it to four, and then it was like, oh, man, we have a chance. And unfortunately, Jalen to the line, and he broke those free throws. Two, He missed two of the three crucial ones. Yeah. And from there, you knew it was over. Uh, I saw Mr. Brunson. They, they had a shot of him in the stands with his hands in his face, nervous. And that's exactly how I think everyone felt about this game. Yeah. I, it was just Butler's night. There were a lot of things that I thought Villanova could have done better, especially defensively. Mm-hmm. You give up 101 to Butler, and then you give up 85 to DePaul. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if DePaul should be scoring 85 on Villanova. Right. But, but yeah, you know, on 44 night, to honor their former player, Andrew Smith, who passed away from pan- from cancer, you had a rock in Hinkle Fieldhouse. The magic was just there. And the other tidbit that someone pointed out that I, I hadn't realized was Laval Jordan is familiar with Villanova. And Jay Wright said it before in interviews that the one coach he would not want to play against or coach against is John Bayline from Michigan. Mm-hmm. And Laval Jordan was a longtime assistant or not a long time, but he had, a, he, you know, he had a nice run there. He was there through their national championship run, a few deep runs of the tournament. He was there for about six or seven years, and then he decided to go on his own and become a head coach at Milwaukee before finally coming to Butler. But he was an assistant there. He was a right-hand man for Beeline, and I, I think he picked up a few things. I think he picked up a few things from that one meeting that Nova had against Michigan. It's, it looked like he had the weakness. It looked, it looked like he had the blueprint, and it worked, as we saw, because Butler just dropped 101 and shot the lights out. I don't know if it happens again, if they meet again at the Wells Fargo Center. Mm -hmm. But I know I said that last time when we lost to Butler at Hinkle. And I was like, oh, no worries. When when we come back to the pavilion, we're going to blow them out. (laughs) And we all know how that ended. But it was a very good game by Butler. Hats off to them. Villanova finally got that first loss. How concerned are you? you you? Where do you see this team now? Does it change your perception of how you view this team? Or, oh, you know, it's just one loss. This isn't going to change anything. These happen. 
I don't, I don't know. I, it, it changes in the, fa- in the fact that I, I'm more scared of like, just like the typical road game now. Like, like I said before, like, Oh, like I had them going into Creighton and winning in Creighton. Like, I, I mean, if they perform anything like this defensively, I don't think they, they win their Creighton. Providence maybe is a little bit more of an issue now. Like, I don't, I don't, like, we just don't know yet if this is indicative of how they'll play down the road, especially on the road. Providence has to scare you a little bit more. Creighton has to scare you a little bit more. Xavier and Seton Hall, they didn't already scare you, scare you even Hagelmore. And I still don't think they'll have trouble with St. John's on the road and maybe a little bit in the beginning. But I, honestly, it doesn't change my perspective of this team yet because I still th- I still believe in Jay that he'll correct the defensive issues. And I still think they'll pretty much sweep everyone at home. But on the road, I think every game is going to be a little more iffy than it was before. Yeah, it's, it's definitely scary to see them drop one-on-one. I don't know if it's that injuries are playing a role in this. I don't know if that's, you know, if guys are just a little more tired or if the guys coming out fresh legs off the bench really does help out, especially when running their defensive schemes. For anyone who missed the news somehow, we had another injury to add to the list, and that was Jermaine Samuels who broke his hand or wrist in practice, and he's got the same one. He's got matching casts with Colin Gillespie. Those two are out. Samuels is out for about a month, I think they said. And we all know that Gillespie isn't coming back until February. I wouldn't say I'm too concerned yet. It is one loss. And I know that I did say that Villanova was going to go undefeated until February 4th. I don't know about that. Maybe I might have to reevaluate that statement. But I just want to see how they respond. I know that Villanova is usually very good in bouncing back. They don't really lose back-to-back games all too often. But they're going against a team that is all offense and that loves to shoot three-pointers. Marquette has the top two scorers in the Big East right now in Andrew Rousey and Marcus Howard. Both are averaging over 20 a game. Sharpshooters are us. I don't know if it's going to be like the Butler game. I want to see how this defense can readjust. They're going to have Marquette at home, which is nice. They're going to have they're going to be playing the comfort of their own arena. But I would like to see how they do against this team that's just so offensively minded and so offensive oriented. All shooting, shooters shoot, no defense. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see how this defense is able to work against sharpshooters that and scores that Marquette has. And then maybe we'll hit the panic button. This could just be a one-time fluke, but I would like to see how this team responds on Saturday night. Yeah, you got to think it, th- this was a little bit of a fluke on Butler's end. I mean, 60% from three, like you can't – there's no way they can sustain that over a couple games, let alone a season. And then let alone our defense – like giving up 60% of threes, like eventually it's going to regress at some point. So that, I guess that you can take solace in that. But like I said, I believe in Jay to make the defensive adjustments to help <laughs> three-point percentage defensively. And like you said, what a perfect opponent to do it against than Marquette. But a week from when the Butler game happened, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to turn around relatively quick and go up against the team that basically is what destroyed you with Butler. So it'll be it'll be interesting. And it's, who would have thought that this game would be not, not scary, but like you have to pay a little bit more close attention to than you just think a regular cakewalk on a Saturday night. Yeah, they'll have a nice week to rest and a nice week to prepare. And I'm sure this week of practice, I would not want to be any of the guys in this week of practice. I'm sure it was a rough film session. I'm sure it was a rough week. It should be a good test for the Cats. They're taking on, as we've mentioned, that this is such an offensive-minded team. They play no defense. And if you really want to back it up, we'll go to the numbers guy, Ken Palm. Marquette is rated 15th overall in Division One. so out of 351 schools or whatever it is. They're shooting over 40% from the three-point line. But if you look at the defense, numbers not as good. They're 150th 
which is about middle of the pack, but they're giving up an effective field goal percentage of 52.2%. As we've talked about, this sharpshooters are us. No inside presence. They're letting teams shoot 53.7 inside. So not ideal. They're, they're going to look to run and gun literally. Shoot or shoot, fight fire with fire. No defense. This all offense, no defense type style of play has played all right so far for Marquette. I mean, they've they gotten some wins, VCU, LSU. They were in a tight game against Xavier in a game that, honestly, they probably could have won. They probably should have won. I think their home court advantage is really severely underrated, um, and I think we kind of underrated it going into last year, exemplified as to why we lost last year. Wins over Wisconsin, but then... You lose to Georgia, Purdue, Wichita State, all good teams. Georgia, maybe not so much. Wichita State and Purdue are. Like you said, you're going to see a lot of threes, a lot of quick shots. Lojo is just all offense, no defense whatsoever. Usually it's the exact opposite of what Buzz Williams really was. He had a very offensive style, but I think he preached defense a lot more than Wojo does. And those Marquette teams of the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s, they were pretty good. I mean, Marcus Hour was on the all freshman team last year. I think he's probably one of the most gifted players in the Big East. He's an absolutely fantastic shooter. Can knock it down with the best of them. Rousey's sharpshooter. Hauser's sharpshooter. You're, you're going to, you can't stress it enough. You're going to see all offense. Yeah, Marcus Howard last year shot well over 50% for the whole season, which is very impressive. He's still doing a pretty great job from deep. Not as high. He's still shooting just about 38%. He's averaging over 20 a game. Do you happen to catch that game last night? He dropped 52 points, which ties a Big East record set by Marshawn Brooks. Providence <laughs> alum, he did it in 2011, totally forgot about his existence until Howard tied his – I guess he had the record the whole time. I would have never guessed it was him. Yeah, you would think with a record like that, it, you would know the record holder and it would be a prominent player, not not former Nets great Marshawn Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Nets great used – very loosely, very loosely. Yes, yes. He was fine. The Nets just gave up on him, just like they do with every young, talented player they have. But th- that's neither here nor there. Closet Brooklyn Nets fan Chris Stangiel coming out right here. <sighs> they were so good back in the day. Kittles and Carter. I know they weren't on the same team, but those were my two favorite players. And Kid, but continue about Marcus Howard. He, he, he had a baller day. Oh, man. Yeah, he was lighting it up. But yeah, Marcus Howard had 52 points, the most ever for a Marquette player in a single game. It's also the most ever for a Big East player since conference realignment, surpassing Doug McDermott's mark of 45 that he put up against Providence. He also had a new Big East record, 11 made three-pointers, and was pretty much the only source of three-point shooting in that Marquette-Providence game in which he set the record. The Golden Eagles won 95-90. to Marcus Howard obviously accounted for over half of his team's production and was just locked in. And coming after a Butler game in which we gave up as many threes as we did, it's definitely a little concerning. But, man, it was a sight to behold seeing him just go in bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket. It really felt like he couldn't miss. Even though he did have a few misses here and there, he was just fantastic all night and really carried Marquette to victory. Marcus Howard, I feel like, is one of the more underrated players in the Big East, and I, I don't know why that is. Like, he was on the – as I mentioned before, he was on the all-freshman team. But he, going into this year, you, you didn't really hear much about him. And I don't know if it's a product of just 
being part of a Marquette team that's just pretty mediocre, capable of doing some good things, but he came in as a highly touted freshman. He's put together like big time games for Marquette last year, and you saw this year he kind of started off the same way, and then he drops 52, and I feel like no one, no one was talking about him until now. It's just so weird to see because he's such a great player, and honestly, when he went to Marquette, I was here like, wow, I wish Allenson stuck around so that you could see a great young combo with those two. But I, I feel like this kid deserves more hype, and I, hopefully this 52-point game really gets him some consideration for a top five, 10, 5 player in the Big East. Yeah, I think you're spot on with the fact that he did come in to the season a little underrated. I felt like there wasn't a lot of buzz for him. Obviously, all eyes were on Jalen Brunson, Angel Delgado, Trayvon Blewett, the established household names of the conference right now. But now you see Marcus Howard, and he's making a very good case as to why he should be in that conversation. And then you see him put together this 52-point game. And I think being a part of a Marquette squad that was projected to finish seventh in the conference, it's Marquette. They haven't won. You know, they're not the champions. They're not ranked. They weren't considered to be a title contender for the conference. So maybe he does get swept under the carpet a little bit because if you ask me, did you know the two best scorers in the Big East right now were on Marquette? I would have never guessed it. I would have never guessed that the top two scorers in the conference were Marcus Howard and Andrew Rousey. I just would have never guessed that. If you asked me that last week, I would have been wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the, the type of offense they play, I mean, I guess you can expect it now that we've actually looked into it. But like, just off the top of your head, yeah, no way. I would have said Blewett or Delgado or – or Jalen, for that matter, Bridges. One of one of those four, not those two. Andrew Rousey is probably the guy that's really stepped it up. He was the sixth man of the year last year. Small guy coming in from UNC Asheville. Only stands about 5'10", but the man can ball. He is a sharpshooter, a big-time scorer. I was hyped on him coming in last year. He had some flashes, but now in a much bigger role his senior year, him and Howard are really taking their game to new heights. Rousey is shooting 45% from deep. He can pull up from anywhere. If you send him to the free throw line, he's basically automatic. And I felt like one guy that got he, – he had a great freshman year last year. He came in with Howard. He did a good job. But I felt like he was didn't really get the spotlight as much. Sam Hauser, he's another big-time sharpshooter. Averaging in double digits, he's shooting 48.8% from deep, the highest on this team right now. In the front court, they've got a revolving door of guys. They do it by committee. I'm sure they miss Big Fish, Luke Fisher. He was so great, and I felt like we kind of took him for granted. Or I guess we've seen now how much this team has changed without the Big Fish down low, the 6'10", experienced three-year starter for Marquette. They've got Matt Held, okay. He's all right so far. They also got Theo John and Harry Froling. But for the most part, this is a backcourt team. This is a shooter-shoot. They might shoot them up sleep in the streets just as much as Villanova does. But defensively, they're not as good. So I think Villanova buckled down. Whether it's attack the basket or shoot the threes, I think Villanova will have its opportunities. But I don't know if Marquette can slow Villanova down. I, I just don't see it. The, <laughs> the last thing you want to do, though, is let Marquette get off to a run. That's the last thing you want to do. Don't yeah. try to shoot with them. Don't try to shoot with them. No, you don't. You don't want to play their game. You want to slow it down a little bit. You don't want to get in a run and gun type game with them. I think we're going to see a similar game as the last year, which I believe this game is happening a year, a year, almost a year to the day that the last time 
these two teams matched up in Philadelphia. I think that game was like close on the scoreboard, but Villanova blew them out in reality. It was just, it was a no contest type game. I think we're going to see something similar to that. However, playing Marquette, a great three-point shooting team, coming off one of the worst defensive performances in Villanova recent history, is a little concerning. If the defense plays anything like they did against Butler, you weren't expecting them to knock down those shots. Imagine what a team that can knock down those shots can do against a very leaky defense. So I am a little concerned about that, which gives me some hesitation as to saying like this might be a double digit win for Villanova but at the same time I think with the, with the weak layoff here I think they'll be able to correct the defense and I, I just think the law of averages is going to come into play and Marquette's going to start missing some shots against the this defense yeah I think the Wildcats have it in the bag they haven't lost back-to-back games since 2012-2013 season and if you just look at the Butler game this just in the Bulldogs shot 68.2% from the three-point line, which is actually the highest or the best that any team has ever shot against Villanova in the Jay Wright era, or in the Ken Palm era, rather, which is pretty much almost coincides with each other. And that beats the Raggy game. Yeah, that beats – yeah, we, we have officially surpassed Creighton. This stat nugget has now officially, on paper, put the Butler game on top of Creighton. It just didn't feel as bad because at least we were scoring this time that big run at the end it, it, it made it feel a lot closer than what it actually was this will be an eight o'clock tip-off on saturday night it'll be on fox sports one for everyone who is not fortunate enough to be there which is actually a pretty rare sight it's kind of weird to think that we've actually been on more espn networks this season than fox sports one yeah i was just about to say about time we're on fox sports one i feel like that's the main that, that's our main station and we're not even on it like we had the past two games were on cbs and then you said to me earlier the other day that we've had five games on ESPN so far. The battle, two, two battle for Atlantis, Temple, Gonzaga, and there's one more in there. No, it's three, three battle for Atlantis. Yeah, so yeah, three battle for Atlantis, Gonzaga, Temple. There you go. There's five. We've been on Fox Sports two, I think, just as much as we've been on Fox Sports one. But Fox Sports two is actually not national, so no. we've been featured nationally more on ESPN networks than Fox Sports this season so far, which is. A fun fact, because I would have never guessed that, that <laughs> halfway through the season, at the beginning of conference play, we would have been on ESPN more than Fox Sports. But here we are. And I think the only other FS1 game so far was Nichols State and LaSalle. Yeah. It's funny that we've seen the premier games on ESPN and not on the home of the Big East. Yeah, that'll certainly change, though, next week, because we'll have a very fun slate, and we got Xavier coming to town. But for now, we got Marquette. You'll be there this Saturday night. Maybe you'll get to meet Mike Jacobs because he's also going to be there. Yeah, I want to meet Mike Jacobs. I want to see if he can actually play center for the, uh, the VU Hoops staff squad. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Mike Jacobs is actually six foot five, Mountainous, man. Mountainous. Once again, tip-off is at 8 p.m. Saturday night at the Wells Fargo Center back on FS1. And now we turn our eyes and attention to the women's basketball team who also had a pretty rough start to Big East play. They dropped their opening game to Creighton. Then they came back, had a nice second half, fourth quarter comeback against Providence that was led by Mary Gadeka, putting together a career-high 24-point performance against the Friars on the road at Alumni Hall, not the Dunkin' Donuts Center for anyone who was interested. I, I was glad that I double-checked that because I almost sent Ryan Bowman to the wrong building. Thankfully, he was able to cover it for us. Our first-ever road game women's basketball live coverage, which was he did a good job with that. So after that nice win, he thought that Villanova, like, this was it. They took a slight dip in the polls. They dropped from 18 to 21. 
thought, like, all right, they're going to start turning around after that slow start at Creighton. But unfortunately, this past Tuesday night against Butler in their first home Big East game of the season, the Bulldogs came to town and they put together a performance that was honestly just as impressive as the men's team did against the Villanova men's team. Yeah, except it wasn't really of the offensive variety. It was more of the defensive variety for Butler. You look at Villanova's stats here from deep, 4 of 27, just under 15%. You're not going to win many games shooting that. And when your entire offense is built around the three-pointer and you're shooting like that, it is game over. And I believe this is the third straight game that what, Lewin, Han, and Jaycott haven't had great shooting nights, especially from D. I mean, Lewin went 6 of 12 from the field, but 0 of 4 from D. Han, 0 for 5. Jaycott, 0 for 3. This is what happens when your big three or just any core just is, doesn't play well. You're going to get beat. I didn't think they get beat at all, let alone by 23 points in their own building. That's pretty shocking. The third quarter absolutely did Villanova in. They were down two at half, so you're thinking, all right, maybe they'll catch fire second half. They're at home. They'll be able to recover. No, third quarter, they got outscored 27 to 11. Oh, 27 points in a, in a women's college basketball game in one quarter is a lot. In the NBA, that would be pretty good, <laughs> let alone women's college basketball. That wasn't good. And then Tori Schickel on offense. <laughs> 10 of 11 from the field, good for 26 points, contributed six free throws on top of that. If we had the preview for you, we would have stressed her to no end because she gets hers and she's by far the best player on Butler and she just absolutely dominated Villanova. And before the technical issues, we were saying it's okay if Schickel gets hers because they don't lock down everybody else. That's what they usually do with these type of types of teams where it's just one star. Well, it did them in this time where she was basically the difference maker. Schickel had a nice all-around game, 26 points, 7 boards, 6 assists, 2 blocks, just did a little bit of everything. And it's what we expected. She's such a good forward, and we've seen forwards and centers give Villanova a problem. But even though teams might have the star forward, the star center, we've seen the Wildcats be able to buckle down and lock down on everyone else, particularly the guards and the perimeter players. But that just didn't happen this time. Whitney Jennings on Butler had 16 Kristen Spoiler came off the bench and added 13 and had four threes. Michelle Weaver added 11. That's three players in double digits besides Schickel. And Schickel was fantastic. She was amazing. Just like you said, 27 points is a lot for women's college basketball. If you think about it, that's a basket a minute. Yeah. More than that. <laughs> 2.7 points, 2.7 points a minute. And yeah, they, heard they really had their way in the third quarter. Yeah. And then the Wildcats, just the second half, you, you get the overall numbers for the three-point shooting for the whole game, but if you just isolate the second half, Villanova shot one for 14 from beyond the arc, and they barely went to the free throw line, just went there eight times. One for 14. That one three? Uh, this is a team that yeah. lives and dies by yeah. the three. We love our perimeter shooting, and one for 14 is just not a good look, and it helped Butler really no. pull away there. And just blow out the cats. It did. It did. Butler, I, I believe, has a good three-point defense. Just looking at their stats here, they were holding opponents to under 35% from deep. You would think that it wouldn't spell as bad for Villanova because you would think that their players are just so good they can able they'd be able to at least defeat that average. But alas, Butler's defense, especially their perimeter defense, is for real. That's for sure. These past three games, like I said, with Lou and Han and Jake, got all going cold. Not very encouraging. 
Obviously, this won't keep up for the rest of the year, just, just impossible. But it's a little concerning because if those three are done, they could only do so much. Janet Tucker did, did a little bit, got 10 points, but again, it's not that's not enough. You need to hit your, th- this team needs to hit its threes and it needs the big three to hit their threes or else this team will just fall apart like they have in the past uh, two or three games. I did think that Lewin did have a pretty solid game. Yeah, she didn't hit anything from deep, but inside the arc, she was six for eight. She had a double-double, 16 points, 10 boards. So I thought she was fine, but obviously, you know, this team is just so reliant on its core three, and when 33% of the trio is performing, or at least doing well, that's just not enough to win these games. But I'm pretty disappointed. I thought Villanova would win this Butler game. I thought they'd come back. Butler is a team that's not exactly high on the list. Coming into the season, they're projected to finish eighth. I don't know where this team is right now. I I don't know if it's just they're hitting some happy waters. Because they had that slow second half against Creighton, which allowed Creighton to pull away. And they had a slow start against Providence. Providence is okay. They're not the best. But the Wildcats came back with that nice second half rally, a nice fourth quarter performance by Mary Gadeka. They had that nice comeback win. You're like, all right, this is going to start putting the win on their backs, help them start pushing ahead forward. And then they get Butler. They get off to a great start, 11-2 run. They give up a 13-3 run. And then they allow Butler to take the lead. And then from there, it was just catch-up, catch-up, catch-up. And then they finally got there at the half. But then the, everything just fell apart. A 23-point blowout was definitely not what I expected at all. And I don't think that's what Harry Preda and his team was expecting either. It was a pretty disappointing loss, especially at Jake Nevin, where Villanova plays so well, especially this season. They haven't had that many home games so far. And to see them drop one at home against the Butler squad, you feel that you should have beaten if you don't go 9 for 26 on the floor. So it's a little disappointing, but they'll get a chance to redeem themselves against Xavier tomorrow night. It's going to be on the Big East Digital Network, which is great because pretty much all their games except one for the rest of the year are going to be, is going to be streamable on Fox Sports Go on the Big East Digital Network. If you have Fox Sports on your cable package, You'll be able to watch the Lady Cats' games from here on out. This Savior squad, they beat Butler by seven. <laughs> and Butler beat Nova by 23. Obviously, it's not simple as a copy and paste, but I guess I just don't know where this team is right now. They had such a hot start to the season, and now it just seems a little inconsistent right now. Maybe it's like the, the middle of the season blues, or when you start to feel tired, or you start to feel the effects yeah. of this marathon of a season. I, I don't know what it is. But I'm hoping that they can turn around against this Xavier squad that was projected to finish last in the conference. Projected to finish last, but they haven't been playing like it. Got nine wins. Uh, they beat Butler, as you just mentioned. So, yeah, and the Butler game was at home for Villanova. This Xavier game coming up was at home for Villanova. They had the win in Providence. And like you said, you would think that this would propel them, especially coming home to two, at least beginning of the year, perceived easy games. If they get blown out by Butler like that, all right, you know, just a bad night, I guess. But the fact that you lost to Creighton before, where I know Creighton's good, but you're a ranked team. You would like to win that game. I mean, you like to win every game, but you, you would like to win that one specifically. But now that if you lose to Xavier, you got to start worrying a little bit. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about the Xavier team. On offense, they're averaging 63 points per game. As a team, individually, they only have one player above 10 points per game and that would be Amani Partlow she's only started four games and has only played in six games so far I think she had an injury uh, she's averaging 10.8 the next best option for Xavier is Anina Ayanin uh, 
she's averaging 9.8 points per game. So she's right on the cusp of the double digits there, but hasn't eclipsed that mark yet. So those are your two big options for Xavier. As a team from deep, they're not exactly the greatest, shooting 33.8% from beyond the arc. They're not the lone sharpshooter, but the sharpshooter for Xavier is Aliyah Dunham. She's shooting at a healthy 47% from deep. And on the defensive end, again, another good team that plays good three-point defense. I don't know if it's just the quality of competition, whatever it may be, but Xavier's only allowed 32% of three-pointers allowed to go in. That's a pretty good defense, again, and you hope that Villanova is able to break through that and not suffer the same fate that they did against Butler. Yeah, you would hope so, right? I I mean, I wouldn't like to see Villanova suffer the same fate again. I would like to see them start to turn it around. This Xavier squad is very interesting. Because, as you mentioned, Partlow only played in six games, so her numbers are inflated a little bit. And yet she's the only one averaging in double figures. And it's not even by much. It's 10.8. This is this team loves to share the ball. They can go as high as 10 deep if they really wanted to in their rotation. They'll play all 10, maybe even 11 or 12, empty the whole bench. They love to share the ball. They love to spread it around. They do use Ayanin and Partlow as their main weapons. So definitely want to buckle in on them. Shut them down. Ayanin is a great two-way forward, another forward that can stretch the floor to the three-point line if we, if they really wanted to. Just like Audrey Faber from Creighton or Tori Schickel and Butler, this is another type of versatile forward that can do it all and definitely one that we're going to want to shut down because she's the centerpiece of this team. She played a good amount of minutes last year, but this is her first time as a full-time starter, and she's relishing in that role so far. Also, keep an eye out for Jada Bird and Kendall Fisher. They're two great perimeter options. Overall, though, this team, they just don't impress me too much. I mean, yeah, there's a team ball, and yeah, they can spread it out, run 10 legs at you, 10 pairs of legs at you, but they turn the ball over so much. Between mm-hmm. between all of them, they just they don't take good care of the ball, and that can spell trouble for them, especially on such a defensive-minded team as Nova. But the key here, obviously, is... Can Villanova shoot the ball well? And I think this is a good opportunity for them to get back on track against a Xavier team that is not exactly the greatest. Yeah, it, it, this is certainly the game to do it. I thought the Butler game was going to be the game to do it because they struggled mightily in Creighton and in Providence, but that was not the case. So you would think the second time around against a perceived mediocre team at home, you should be able to knock down your shots. You should be able to get that confidence back because I think that's probably a, a big factor into this as well as to why they're not playing well. So I think they should win this. Xavier has played a little above what they were predicted to be, and you know, good for them. They, I don't think I don't understand why they would be dead last. They, they seem to be a formidable foe. Maybe not the best, but still predict going over the win. They're home. They're ranked. Hopefully, they stay ranked. This game should help that cause. Once again, tip off is at 7 p.m. Tomorrow night, Friday, January 5, it's going to be on the Big East Digital Network. I think Villanova wins this one. I kind of find it hard to believe that they're going to accept another loss after getting blown out by 23 on their home floor. I just don't see Harry Pratt allowing that, and I just don't see this fired-up team of cats allowing that either. I think they're going to get up for this one, and I think they're going to start to turn around here, and then who knows, moving on after that. But I guess one game at a time. Just start getting your shots back. See the ball fall through the basket again and just get that confidence back because right now they look a little shaken to start Big East play. So we're going to keep an eye out for that tomorrow night. But for now, before we go to the mailbag, I just want to talk about some alumni. Tano Passigno and Josh Hart. They both had some pretty nice games this past weekend over the New Year's weekend. 
And Josh Hart got himself a little little notoriety, a little uh little fifteen minutes of fame on pretty much every single sports media outlet. If you saw that egregious foul that was called on him from James Harden. Chris, when you saw that, what was the best part of that thing? His pure stunned reaction to the foul where James Harden basically just dips his shoulder in and is and like is able to hook himself like around Josh Hart's arms, where he's just standing up straight with his arms in the air, and then he just hacks up a shot, and that's apparently a foul. I had no idea that initiating contract contact would be a foul on the defensive player. That was uh, that was pretty funny, and then yeah, he he kind of got really upset about that. It was almost like the Butler game last year in Hinkle, where he was trying to hold back Jay, and he was just. He just wanted to just stare in the space. Like it was almost like the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Distinct reaction to it where, where Jay was just freaking out and he was just staring at the camera like, what, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. Harden, like pretty much arm bars or locks in with Josh Hart's arm and Josh Hart's just standing tall like a tree. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just let go of me, 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 just let go of me. Whistle. What? <laughs> yeah, it made no sense whatsoever. It really did. The NBA. Yeah, he was he was able to put up uh, some big points here because and double overtime, so you get some more minutes. Also, with Contavious Caldwell Pope being technically uh, in jail, not allowing to leave the state, basically, he's able to work himself into the rotation. Actually, started this one, I believe, and was able to drop twenty six from it. It was uh, a pretty big boy game from him. I think he hit like the opening three, like the overtime too. I mean. Eventually, the Lakers lost just because the Rockets are just a little bit better, or a lot better than the Lakers right now, but did himself a favor by playing great. And uh, I think a lot of Lakers fans, of course, like just based on reading the replies to like some of the Lakers tweets, they really want Josh Hart starting like over KCP and, and the rest of the band of goons they got over there. Yeah, the Lakers seem to have a pretty good draft job between Lonzo, Kyle Kuzma, yeah. and now Josh Hart is seen, looking like he's getting his legs under him in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But he had a nice game, 9 for 13 on the floor, 4 for 7 from deep, 6 rebounds, tough loss in double overtime. But, hey, you know, I think everyone knows who Josh Hart is now because I think a few weeks ago, a few people in the NBA landscape were like, who's that? When yeah. he got his first start against LeBron and the Cavs. Yeah, I was actually just about to bring that up, how yeah, his first start was against LeBron and the Cavs and how I, there was, like, one play where he was getting – he had, like, a breakaway and – had like LeBron chasing him down but in like instead of doing anything fancy he just kind of like just put it in because he knows like what LeBron can do and everyone was like applauding that because of it was of a smart play there so he's doing very well for himself and I'm not gonna say like I expected like a like a great rookie season from him especially the late first round pick teams don't really like to just start them throw them into the fire there but with the Lakers you have a very young team you have the opportunity to do this and obviously with the KCP um, situation going on there. He's going to have plenty of minutes to make a name for himself, and I think he's going to be able to do it. I would love to see Josh Hart just walk me through that highlight of him dunking and hearing footsteps of LeBron, knowing what he can do with chase down blocks. I would like to know what, what he was thinking as he was going up for that dunk. How scared was he? Was there any fear there? I would <laughs> just love to know what his thoughts were as he was going up with that dunk and when he saw the ball plop through the net and like, oh my God, I, I survived. I did not end up on Sports Center top ten for the wrong reasons. <laughs> we um we can get him on the podcast. We can try. Can ask him there. Yeah, we should try. We should also try to get Tano Passigno on because he had a nice game against the Broncos this past weekend in the season finale against the Broncos. He had six tackles, two assisted, and two sacks. So nice, a nice showing for the big man coming from Villanova. 
repping <laughs> blue and white at Kansas City. A nice two-sack performance, and it's good to see him have a good game. Yeah, no, an absolutely great game for him. I mean, it was it was a good opportunity for him for to shine a little bit because it was a relatively – actually, no, it was a pretty many, meaningless game between uh, the Chiefs and the Broncos. Um, I think the Chiefs had already the four seed locked up no matter what they did, and the Broncos were just paying, playing for draft position at that point. But, yeah, no, he got the first two sacks of the year. First one was more of a coverage sack I saw, but he had a nice little spin move to break three. Of, I think he was coming in from the left side. i got to look at the replay again. But he had a nice little spin move there and gets to the quarterback. Uh, Paxton Lynch under pressure all day by that Kansas City front. And now he'll have the opportunity to maybe play in the playoffs a little bit. I know he hasn't been playing a, a bunch in the regular season. He's been working in on a rotation there. Had him in as a second round pick but yeah he'll go up against Tennessee this coming weekend and maybe he can make a name for himself in the playoffs you never know yeah we'll keep we'll keep an eye out for Tyler Passigno keep an eye out for Josh Hart maybe this started something beautiful for him over there in LA but for now we will dive into the mailbox look at some questions let's look at what we got see what we missed while we were away and we'll get to your questions as always you can tweet us at s-o-n-n pod or you can ask questions in the comment section. It'll find its way to us, and we'll answer them just like this. From Jerry Quinn, will Villanova basketball benefit more from an early season loss than remaining number one in the polls? I think you and I have the same opinion on this, so I'm going to let you cook. This is a great question. My answer to this question is yes, it, it does benefit them now. I'm going to go actually take an approach to this where you're looking at it from a March Madness standpoint. Like You see in college sports, the earlier you lose, the better. You don't want the devastating loss coming in like late February, right before conference tournament, and then you're losing the conference tournament. Or you lose a crushing game to a middling team in your conference tournament, and you lose a seed line because of it. You'd rather have it happen now. That way you can recover, build up your resume again, and it, it, that loss seems like a million years ago come March. So in that regard, I think it's better it happened now. And I also think it's better that it happened now because they, they're able to learn from it. Imagine if they did had this defense type of game in the Big East tournament or against Seton Hall to close out the year or against Xavier to close out the year, uh, the regular season. We would be scrambling. We'd be like, how are we going to get past the round of 32 again? All the jokes would be queued up and whatever it may be. Get it all typed out in your drafts on Twitter. But with this now, you have a week off to get ready for a highly offensive, talented Marquette team. And you can correct it from there, and you can fix these mistakes. You have the whole two months, basically, to fix it. And if you don't fix it then, then you actually have a problem. But I'm not too concerned because I do think they'll right the ship. So, yes, it is better that they lost now. And I'm kind of glad – not glad that they lost, but I'm happy that they lost the way they did because I I think it will help them develop better and it it exposed some of the problems that may have been there before that weren't necessarily there when you're playing teams like Nickel State. Ditto on that, and I think I'm totally taking an approach that's similar to how the basketball team looks at the rankings now. You know, at first, being number one was this mystical thing that it sounded great on paper. It sounded great coming out of people's mouths, the number one team in college basketball or the, you know, the number one ranked team atop of all 351 right now is Villanova. And then they finally reached the mark. For the first time in program history, they reached it in 2015-16, a couple months before they went on to go to March Madness and win it all and hold up the national championship trophy. All that jazz, ticker tape parade, victory parade down Broad Street. It was a good time. Since then, they've reached the number one ranking in 
each of the seasons after that. But if there's one thing that the team has learned, and I think I'm starting to really agree with them on that, is that the only number one ranking that matters is at the very end, after the Final Four, when you win the national championship and you have that trophy in your hands. That's the only time number one really matters. I feel like if they look at number one the same way that they looked at winning the Big East tournament last year. It's a business trip. Obviously, you don't want to lose games, but they're not they're not caught up in the hype as much as they used to be. They're not they don't look at it as this mythical unicorn that was just so hard to obtain. They look at it as a responsibility. It's nice that it's there, but we have bigger and better goals to set our eyes on. And I think the best way to learn in sports and in games is definitely from losses. You definitely learn more from losing. You're definitely more reflective from losing than winning. Winning, you know, you know, winning is great. Feels great. What do we need to change? We're blowing teams out left and right. We're taking them down. I'm a great three-point shooter. I'm a good post-up player. I'm a good defender. But then when you lose, you have to look at yourself. Wait, maybe we're not as perfect as we thought we were. We're not as invincible as we thought, or we're not as invincible as people perceived us as being. And I think that's what happened here. When you see Butler drop 101 points, shoot astronomical numbers, you take a step back and you think, wow, we have a lot of work to do because... That's not going to fly in March. That's not going to fly in the Big East tournament. That's not going to fly when it's winner takes all. The next game could be your last of the year. So it's definitely better to have these losses now so you can learn from it, build from it. Obviously, you want to win them all, but it's just unlikely to have a perfect season in which a team goes undefeated for the regular season and then is able to go through the postseason NCAA tournament without a single blemish and hold up that trophy at the very end. It's just so rare to see a perfect season. No team has done it since 76. And that just goes to show that, you know, you could be number one throughout the whole way, win every single game, win the tournament. But as for everyone else, you know, the team that won the national championship might not have been number one for the season. So at the end of the day, there's only one number one that matters, and it's the one that gets to hold up the trophy at the very end. Next question is from John Palm. Will Jay Wright insist that all team members wrap their left hands in bubble wrap until the Big East tournament? Yes, definitely <sighs> yes. And pass over some of that bubble wrap, too. I need some for my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to th- get in on that, too. You, you think they're going to start um, selling uh, Villanova-themed bubble wrap now in the bookstore? I mean, oh, and gotta, anything, anything to make money. Anything get, to make money. You got to think. Just say, oh, it's modeled after Kong Gillespie's and uh, Jermaine Samuel's cast. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think the next game, all the students should come out with, like, blue medical tape around their left hand to show their support. <laughs> yeah, coming in a sling, uh, crutches, whatever it may be. You know, it doesn't even have to be the... Uh, yeah, you're right. Just, just show solidarity. Just, That'll that'll get everyone unified for sure. I will say though, whatever drill or practice thing that they were doing that resulted in two broken hands in a matter of less than a month, that needs to be stopped. Or that needs, yeah. to, needs to be reevaluated. Like you would say it's a fluke, but like the same injury <laughs> and the same hand. Like, come on. Next question from Chris Lane. When does Jay unleash Denny Grace? I mean, why don't you just, just start him next game soon? Well, who cares? Have yeah, him go up against Marcus Howard. Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, throw him up against Marcus Howard. He'll be so disoriented. He'll be like, this is not what I was expecting at all. 
<laughs> it, actually, you know what? The, now that you put it that way, I think that's a great idea. Fantastic well, idea. It, it's well, a psychological well, uh, battle at that point. Bojo's well, looking at the scouting report, and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, Phil will Phil Booth will be on you, Marcus, so just be ready for that. And all of a sudden, this white dude comes out, and he's like, whoa, who's that? <laughs> he's not in the scouting report. Bojo's <laughs> well, just sitting there and like, God, I, I really have to – struggle pretending that I care about defense and not have to care about this guy. <laughs> oh, no. Denny Grace versus Marcus Howard. I'd pay to see that one-on-one. Would you, Eugene? You definitely would. Of, of course I would. I support all bench mob players. Good for the brand. I'll come back when I become an established alumni and I'll start some bench mob t-shirts or something like that. When you had the old blog, I'm telling you, you should have gotten the bench mob t-shirts going. You didn't even have to be an alumni. Yeah, see, I would have felt that Villanova would have filed in a cease and desist order. Oh, true. They're not making any money off it. Forgot. You're, you're yeah. Dead. Yeah, they're like, well, come on, guys. Only we're the only ones who can profit off the athletes, not anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or someone gets a bench mob shirt, gets either the bench mob or, I don't know, Arch at the time to, like, sign it, and then they sell it, and then Arch is uh, ineligible for whatever that stupid rule is. So... You could have been the most hated man on campus if you did that. Sidebar, before we go into the next question, remember my senior year in one of my classes, we had a March Madness bracket contest for, it was an undisclosed prize, and at the end it ended up being a gift card. The winner was a softball player. She won the gift card, but per NCAA rules, she she brought it up. I was I was more impressed with the fact that she knew that this was a rule and that she knew that this was not okay. She could not accept the gift card, so she had to ask the professor to donate it to charity for her because she could not accept it. Good on her for knowing that, and good on her for knowing suggesting to donate it to charity. Can you imagine if like an NCAA investigation went out went down because she, she physically accepted the gift card? but chose to give it to charity herself. Like, I could see the NCAA cracking down on that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yep. That, and she'd probably get suspended, or, in the, or the team would have some violation to yeah, it. sanctions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, at UNC, you, you, you can go to fictional classes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, finally, you know, everyone's like, oh, man, tomorrow's the day when UNC dies. The NCAA finally has them dead to rights. Literally all other 350 fan bases in Division One start rejoicing. And then at like 11 a.m., they're like, oh, well, you know, we did find the evidence and we do know what's happening, but we're not going to do it. Ridiculous. But we will chase <laughs> down these baseball players playing fantasy football and show them who's boss. Oh, that's right. Tim Adams' brother, I think, was part of that. Right? Yeah, Richmond Baseball. Yeah, she told us. I think they were reinstated, though, thankfully. I would hope so. But yeah. imagine if there was no backlash from the public and the NCAA uh, just like went along with it. God, yeah, horrible. Not, not horrible. Not horrible. Last question is from Mike Jacobs. Do you have any new sound effects that you plan on unleashing on the pod in 2018? Oh, of course, Mike. You think this has just been a vacation? Oh, no, no, no. We've been hitting <laughs> up sound databases. Music libraries. There's going to be more sound effects that are going to come out this year. Can't unleash them all at once, but you'll see some new sounds in the pod this season, or I guess for the rest of the year. But it's out there. It's out there. It's coming. Just know it's just know it's in the works. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. 
Please subscribe to the show if you haven't. It's free. You can do it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic. You have various options. Please follow VU Hoops on Twitter or on Instagram at VU Hoops. It's good for both. Also, don't forget to check back on VUHoops.com daily, frequently, occasionally. Just do it often because we are going to have your news, updates, scoops on all things Villanova sports, particularly basketball. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at The Stance Man on Twitter. Well, Chris, it was good to be back. Hopefully no technological issues this time. And we'll be able to listen to this part of the message to make sure that it, it came out okay. But I hope everyone has a great weekend. Enjoy it. Let's beat Marquette. Let's beat Xavier. And we'll be back at it on Tuesday. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.